Hey, you guys, I have a very fun, exciting, interesting episode with Richard Pryor's widow, Jennifer Lee Pryor, coming up. But first, I want to tell you guys about Vegas.com. Springtime is the best time to visit Vegas and get the best deals, and Vegas.com can hook you up with those deals. The thing about Vegas.com is it's different than other travel websites because everyone at Vegas.com lives in Vegas, works in Vegas, plays in Vegas, so they know how to get the best deals. They're real insiders. Um, Vegas.com also has a proprietary drop watch tool, which gets you the the lowest rates on hotels. So Dropwatch continues to monitor the price even after you book and notifies you of changes to ensure you get the best deal um, and you get a best price guarantee even after you've paid. You can get great rates on not just hotels, but also headliner shows, tours, attractions, VIP bottle service at top clubs, for example. So go to Vegas.com right now, click on the microphone in the top right corner and enter my code best friend to receive an extra 10% off everything but air hotel packages. That's Vegas.com. Click on the microphone phone and get your bonus savings by using my secret code best friend book today. All right, here's the episode. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. I'm very excited to be sitting here with Jennifer Lee Pryor, Richard Pryor's fourth and seventh wife, yes. as your Chiron in <laughs> Omit the Logic, which oh. just came out uh, on Blu-ray and DVD in early February. Hello. Hi. It's Welcome. Great to be here. Thank, Thank you, you so much for, for coming all the way out here. Love it. Happy to be here. So, so much stuff that uh, I want to talk about. Right right before we turn the mics on, you were talking about an event you were at last night. Yeah. So let's get to that in a minute. But first, I just want to mention um, Omit the Logic. I watched it. It was almost Shakespearean. Oh. Like, I felt it really, it felt almost like I was punched in the gut by yeah. the end. But I mean, it, I loved it. It was riveting. But just so emotional and... Um, it really captured just the pathos of his life and the vulnerability and the chaos. Um, is that now you were executive producer and you're featured in it. Is that yeah. what you were going for? Um, well, actually what I wanted to say when you were describing all that is, uh, can you imagine what it was like living with him? <laughs> I would like to know. <laughs> um, I think really in terms of what the intention, um, was with this piece was, um, the truth. And the good, the bad, the ugly. Let's not, you know, let's not pretend that some of that darkness didn't happen. Right. It, it certainly was a big part of Richard's life. And uh, trying to explain, I think trying to, to reveal where, it, what happened to Richard, where he came from, um, you know, why certain things happened to Richard and, and how he acted out sometimes the way he did. You know, there's a cause and effect. He grew up very hard and um his his relatives as well and um you kind of can't take him out of context you right know, you you really have to contextualize his his entire life his family and you and, know for the I, I think the vast majority of people know but for the the listeners let's say who are young or who just yeah. don't know he grew up in a brothel a house, yeah. his whole family was involved and yeah. his grandmother was the the madam, the madam. Yeah, and, and she was kind of a ooh, villainous. Oh, you know, woman, it's right? interesting. Yeah, she she 
Villainous. Hmm. Maybe that's not fair. Well, it, 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 it's fair in that, um, for lack of a better term, she, she really had an iron hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to... I, I liked her, even though she... Um, at one point sent a maiden with a two by four over my legs. Yes. Whoa. Another story. Oh yeah. Quite, quite a story. But why? Um, well, Richard and I had been up, uh, in the wee hours, uh, snorting cocaine Mm -hmm. and, uh, Allison goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) (laughs) mm-hmm. No, tell me, tell me the juicy stuff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like every, like everybody does. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, we're talking about the seventies, darling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so, um, and and the the uh, the light came, uh, daylight broke, and she, the phone started ringing, and he said, "Mama, who was at the house at the time, uh, please don't bother us." And she kept calling the intercom, and he said, "Tell her, Jennifer." So you know, it was kind of a setup. I said, "Mama, don't bother us." She called back and said, "Richard, there's a man out here with a stick." And he hung up. He said, "What's that mean? There's a man out here with a stick." <laughs> Okay, remember, grew up and it ran a brothel. So the next thing I know, this maid comes in uh, with a two by four, smashes it over my legs. One thigh goes here, one thigh goes here, pinning me down. Her fingers, her hands went around my neck, and she was strangling me. Whoa. And Richard was watching. And I think finally Richard came to his senses and, um, you know, threw her off me. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was very obviously very upset, and I had some words for the grandmother to the grandmother, and I was asked to leave the house. And so you didn't go against the grandmother no matter what. Mm -hmm. In fact, she was right no matter what. But I realized, too, that that's how they they meted out punishment in the whorehouse. I, you know, it was recreated. By beating you? By beating women, if yeah. if they if they were disrespectful or disobedient, however she may have viewed it, um, or interpreted it, and she would rule, and I I really understood it, you know, mm. perhaps to my detriment, I I understood a little. When you too say much. you understand it, what do you mean? I I really um, could appreciate where everybody came from, and they were. Vastly interesting people. They, they everybody, um, I appreciated everybody. Everybody was a character. Everybody had a story. This is from another time. I mean, they grew up hard in the Midwest, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s. And um, this was her, this was, survival was, was not easy for any of them. And Richard witnessed all this. So what I had experienced just in that little capsule there was something that he witnessed on a daily basis um so by the way i came back in the house only by apologizing to the grandmother for how i had spoken to her and how did and you i feel did about that well i i did it because i i wild horses weren't going to keep me away from my man you know right. i loved richard and i felt that i felt that i was um his connection to to love and to good things and to a way out of that mentality. And um, I think that's an explanation for some of the, um, some of the reasons why I stayed when I perhaps shouldn't have. I wanted to ask you about that. Um, You know, I know you guys had very on the surface, different 
uh, upbringing. Yes. But emotionally, were there similarities? You know, it's that's a great question because that's absolutely spot on. Um, I grew up uh, in upstate New York. My dad was a very successful attorney. My mother was from an interesting family. Her father was a New York State Supreme Court justice. Um, I grew up in privilege, and um, but my mother was also mentally ill, and I saw a lot of domestic violence, and I was used to a certain chaos. So the chaos that I experienced with Richard and saw in his family didn't really frighten me the way it might frighten you know, somebody else with another kind of upbringing. I was, you know, kind of not necessarily inured to it, but I was um, not shocked, Mm -hmm. not shocked. Um, It wasn't necessarily what I experienced, but it it was certainly another level. But I have to tell you, too, I was, part of me was fascinated by it because Richard took all of his pain and turned it into magic. I mean, he was so brilliant. He could take a story and get on stage that night, and and it would be hilarious. You know, maybe it had to do with, you know, a punch or two that I took, but, um, you know, he, would, he, could, he could make it good. And that was his survival mechanism. I think comedy just saved his life. When you first started falling for him, and I would like to know oh God. what that was like, but was there a part of you that was like, I should not let myself do this because this is perhaps not the right, this is too dangerous or any, no any of that, really? No part. <laughs> I wish I could say there was a little voice somewhere that said, ah, but uh, no, I, um, you know, the the driver who picked me up, we were chatting and, and he sort of asked me the same thing and, and um it's it's interesting to remember the first day I met him, I was completely smitten. I saw a very vulnerable soul. Pardon me. I saw a person who um, was shattered and wounded on, on one hand, and I connected with that, you know, because um, on the surface he perhaps looked as if he would have everything and, and did, <clears throat> but in fact, I knew that he needed to be loved, and so did I. Where did, or what were the circumstances? How did you meet? I met him through a friend of mine, Lucy Saroyan, William Saroyan's daughter. And uh, she was working for him at the time. And, um, oh my God, what a story this is. <laughs> I had just got back from Texas. I was modeling, acting, whatever. And, uh, I needed a gig and she said, well, I'm decorating Richard's house. I'm a creative consultant to Richard. And she was also dating him. Um, you know, no boundaries anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, you know, come on out and you can help me. And so I literally met him August 22nd, 1977. And we have a Polaroid of that um, day that we met. And you can just see I'm just gaga already. I'm, I'm a bird who swallowed the canary. And, um, <laughs> and But he, um, I worked for him and got to know him. And we'd have these long talks. He was shooting the NBC variety show at the time. And I'd be there early in the morning meeting workmen and such. And these women would, you know, come in every morning, <laughs> different woman every morning. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I mean, the driver asked me, he said, were you shocked? I said, no. I mean, it was, you know, also the 70s, okay? So everybody, you know, was 
pretty sexual at the time. One night stands were not unusual. And um, they were enlightened, right? Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. And little did we know, right? Um, but, and of course, it was pre AIDS, it was pre all of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was um, not as dangerous, of course, as it did become eventually. But anyway, one day uh, it was my birthday, and he gave me a package of cocaine. Again, the 70s. Keep in mind, everybody, no judgment here, folks. And um, we were snorting the coke and in his bedroom playing a guitar, Lucy, Richard, and myself. And by the way, he can say he could sing amazingly. And he was like Billie Holiday's brother. If she had a brother, I mean, it was just, you know, he, he really had a very moving voice. And, and he was barring chords all over uh-huh. the place. And I'm like, this dude, you know, who is he? And... um it got to be very late, and I said, well, I'll go in the guest room and sleep. And Lucy stayed in the bedroom with Richard. Well, the sun came up, and she's hovering over me saying, we've got to go. He pulled a gun on me. I said, well, I have to be here in, you know, an hour. I, it's silly for me to go anywhere. Wild horses couldn't have dragged me away, <laughs> <laughs> truth be told. And uh, Richard came in. Uh, a little while later and asked me to stay on that she had I later found out can I just say it all oh here? yeah okay so I later found out that he pulled a gun on her because um, she wouldn't give him a blowjob so it, I mean he, at least he had his reasons well he did he have wasn't a irrational hey there was an explanation <laughs> you know I mean <laughs> how did you find that out that's what he told you or she told you he told me <laughs> she never spoke to me again she because died. you, what she, happened? She died of a heroin overdose about 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Were you um, <coughs> ever afraid of him or yes. often afraid of him? Not often. Um, when he never made idle threats and I learned that, um, well, for instance, the fire. I was there right before he lit himself on fire. I had moved out by then, by mm-hmm. the way, because the drugs had totally moved in. Because he was now doing free base, right? Yeah. And that was just a whole other level. And and it was his lover. She, the pipe had moved in. You couldn't even relate anymore. They, was he, it? He wasn't there like there's anymore. There's no there there. Yeah. Him, he was, yeah. you know, not, I mean, no non-compassmentus. So I moved out. I was scared then because mm-hmm. that was just another, it was a psychosis. That scared for him or scared for you? Everybody. Mm-hmm. I was, I thought there's danger here. I went out to try to talk him into getting some help, which was kind of stupid but um why why stupid because he was in a drug psychosis he was not it was not safe to be around mm-hmm. and um at that point i had just stopped everything because i knew this was there was major trouble ahead so you know i i wasn't even drinking a beer and one night i, I had i had i had a glass of wine or a snort of coke he had a pile of coke on his desk like that um like a foot high oh and I, I went to sleep, and I woke up, and it was half gone. And wow. I'm, you know, I, I, he, he came at me, and um, I got away. Um, what did he do? Oh, he wanted to kill me. He said, "You're going to die." He came and at you with his hands, or did he have a gun? Or? He, <coughs> he had both. Um, but he came at me with his hands, and he said, "My life is over, and um, you're going to go with me." And I was sitting at the edge of the bed, and I had a cross around my neck, and I grabbed the cross. The sun was coming up. 
And I said a prayer. I said, dear God, give me the words to make this all okay. And I calmed him down. I saw at that moment that death and killings and murder can happen when people are afraid. And I saw that he was more afraid than I was. So I calmed him down, and I said, we're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to have babies. We're going to, you know. And he calmed down, gave me enough time, and I made it to the door. And then 15 minutes later, I came in and said, do you want something to eat? (laughs) There were a few episodes like that. (laughs) Trust me. He pulled a gun on me one night, cocked the trigger, and said, get out, bitch. And I said, no worries. (laughs) I went, sat on the stoop, smoked a cigarette, came back in and said, what was that all about? Said, I'm so glad you didn't make me kill you. Um, but that must have traumatized I mean, me. Well, that's not what I was going to say, but yes, what I was going to say is that must have felt very. Now I'm speaking to someone who sort of I feel like I understand um, and have a lot of codependence in me. Not to yeah. give you that label if you don't no, want no, no. it. But I I totally I'll, I'll own it. I totally get that. That must have felt very gratifying to have been able to talk him down like that and be the voice of reason. Well, I'm not so codependent that it was gratifying for the wrong reason. It was simply gratifying because I saved my life. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Talking him down was was just another added benefit. You know, it it was, but basically my, was just thinking survival at the time, right? I am codependent. I mean, there's no question about it. I uh, I ended up in Al-Anon and Al-Anon really saved my life. Um, you know, to understand that dynamic and phenomenon. Where does that come from? You know, I had my own demons I had to deal with, right? It wasn't, you know, I I was pointing the finger at Richard so much one day that I just had to finally turn that finger around and point at myself and say, you know, what the fuck am I doing? What, how, why, how, where, you know? And you just have to start to kind of put the pieces back together. Um... So yeah, I'll I'll certainly own that that title. Um, but by the way, back to the fire because I digressed and went into another story. That that was another story that I told you just then. But mm-hmm. the fire, he threatened me. He said, "You know, I know what I'm going to do. I've made up my mind. I'm going to do it." And he said, "If you don't leave, I'm, you're going to get it too." And I'm like, it's chilling. Very chilling. And I I knew he was not kidding. I left. I went to the kitchen. I talked to his Aunt Dee and a couple of family friends who hangers on at the time. The locusts had descended. Mm -hmm. And um, they sort of poo-pooed me. And, you know, I was just kind of the crazy white girl. And get out of the house, Jennifer. What what were you saying to them? Were you saying to them? I was saying he's going to hurt himself. Mm -hmm. He's going to hurt himself. He's just told me. And and he's, no, Jennifer, you know, you're being, yeah, get out. And, um, I mean, these are old school people, you know, they were not embracing anything other than the fact that they were living off Richard at the time and they were letting him do anything, including kill himself. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm, by the time I got back to my apartment, Beverly Hills, I called Jim Brown. I said, Jim, he's going to do something. Jim Brown was his friend Mm -hmm. until he wasn't anymore. Oh, right. Yes. Um, I remember which one he was. Yeah. And Jim Brown's the ex football player, Mm -hmm. former football player. And um, he said, no, he's promised me he's going to go into rehab. And I said, whatever, Jim. And I called the house. By the time I, the second phone call I made was to the house, and he was on fire running through the house. The auntie dropped the phone, and he was on fire. 
And um, the Rashawn story. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because I know that there's sort of a two different versions of what happened. And I thought it was interesting that the Rashawn story was, but you allowed that in omit the logic, even though you were, I I had issues with it. Okay. I I will be frank with you. I, I I do. And I remain to have issues with it Um, because Richard didn't tell me he saw any monks burn up. So yeah. Remind the listeners what the Rashawn story was. Rashawn said that uh, Rashawn was his bodyguard, um, that he came in and Richard had said uh, there, that there was the, the monk burning himself mm-hmm. on television right, on, some, on some news show. Yeah. And um, Richard said, oh, that's, that's real commitment. He's not even flinching. And um, I said, well, when would that have happened? And then Richard from there, you know, Rashawn left the room and then it happened. I didn't see Rashawn when I was there and I left. So did that happen between, I suppose it could have happened? I I let it stay in because it could have happened. Mm-hmm. I, I can't say categorically that it didn't. I I know what I know. And so between the time that I left the home and got back to Beverly Hills and made those two calls, you know, that's probably at least half an hour. By the way, in those days, you could get back to Beverly Hills and Northridge. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. I, I know. It. It's a different time. I know. <laughs> really different time. Um, and uh, so it, 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 um, it, it's kind of baffling, but, you know, I have to, I mean, I can't think that he made it out of whole cloth. So, you know. I was really, uh, what struck me about that whole story is just how much, and I don't know how I never realized it. Maybe I just didn't look into it enough. I never realized that it was a suicide attempt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just always thought he was doing drugs. It was some kind of accident. He's, he ended up on fire. I never realized that Do it was... Do you know why you, you have that? Why? Belief because Richard lied. And the first thing he told the public was that it was an accident, that the rum he was using to da-da-da, light the thing, and the torch, and it poof, blew up. And when he went to correct that lie with the truth in his film, in interviews, it's, it's a phenomenon about the first thing that the public hears, they believe. And you... you can't correct it after that. The cat's out of the bag, so to speak. So, or the wrong cat got out of the bag. <laughs> right. The lie got out of the bag, as opposed to the truth. But um, so it, it um, yeah, that's why you have that perception because that was the first story told, mm-hmm. and it stuck. Lots of people to this day think, oh, yeah, that was an accident. No, it was suicide. It was a suicide attempt. He's he said to me, it's the only way out. Oh. So he saw out of his psychosis, mm-hmm. he couldn't put that drug down and he refused to get help so his in his psychosis the only alternative logically was suicide not a lot of choices you know you married him after that though right (laughs) thank you for pointing that out (laughs) just want to make sure that i had the timeline were you worried that that this poor audience is thinking (laughs) this woman is out of her mind um yes now the timeline is you're absolutely right june 9th 1980 was the fire um and by the way he ended up in the um sherman oaks burns center which is now in northridge it was or west hills sorry got relocated um and as a matter of fact a friend of mine is currently at sherman oaks hospital which is what the 
where the burn center used to be. And it's very strange when I go to visit her. I bet. It's like, wait a minute, deja vu like a motherfucker. You know, this <laughs> is, <laughs> and I would go see him, and he was mad at me. We'd had some fights, obviously, prior to the whole fire thing and me moving out. And um, he wouldn't see me in the hospital. And there was a wonderful black nurse who took me aside one day, and she said, Jennifer, it hurts me so to see you come here with nothing but love in your heart and want to see him, and he's refusing to, and I want to tell you that, and he was seeing everybody else, that um, the hospitals are a great place to punish people. Oh, that's so interesting. And please don't come again until he wants to see you, just for yourself. It really hurt. She was so sweet and so Mm -hmm. kind and clearly empathetic to, to, to kind of try to dissuade me from inflicting this constant pain, but... um, and I didn't come until the night before he got out, and he called me and asked me to come see him, and I did. And um, we did not get back together then. That was, um, you know, a couple months after he'd been in the hospital, a couple months. And then he he got well. Well, he well. I mean, he began to heal. Um, and he started going back to Hawaii. We'd built a house in Hawaii. And... Um, he was going out with a lot of women, and I was getting tired of it. I mean, mm-hmm. I was really hurting and heartbroken, and um, and we had a, some sort of reunion in January. And anyway, that whole year was sort of he was he was just acting out a lot. And um, the following summer, I told him I was going to go to Europe, and I just had had it. I was done. And uh, I went to see Jimmy Cliff at the Roxy one night and met a wonderful Venezuelan lover. And (laughs) I was finally, you know, going to be free, you know. And Richard smelled it immediately. And, you know, (laughs) please come down to Hawaii, come see me. And uh, I went down and he said, you know, I I want to marry you. And I, eh. And he talked me into it. A friend of mine said, oh, yeah, you really had to be talked into that. <laughs> um, but uh, And so we were married a week later and, um, in Hana in 1980, 1981. And um, oh, it didn't last long. We got back to too soon. He came back. Um, we came back to... Um, California, Los Angeles, and he was going to work on a um, a new concert movie, and it was too soon. He was too fragile. He just was that what became live on the Sunset Strip. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a famous story about that with him walking off. I right, mean, basically, night, yeah. yeah, he basically cracked up and said, "I don't know what I'm doing here," and I knew it. Oh God, I could see it happening. And he went off with Robin that night. I I called Robin. I said, "You got to find him. He's in trouble." So Robin Williams and and um went off and um and then the next night he he showed up and he was he great but ray stark had to do some reshoots you know like a, a month or two later we went on a honeymoon six months after we got married and in fact the driver again i'm i'm gonna reference <laughs> is from belize and i said oh we were in belize uh you know we we chartered this boat and it was really fun of course he was coming on to the to the girls to the uh to the the, the stews was it always like that were you always I know you were like the head 
the head uh, bitch. I was the head bitch. to yourself yeah. that way, right? But were there always other women around? I was A-list, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there, they, there were always other women around. And uh, I wasn't necessarily threatened by them, but you just, it's, it's just a little tedious, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, hookers or drug dealers or, you know, it, it just, it, you know, and, and again, the codependency. Well, why did I stay? I adored him. I believed that the good was outweighing the bad. Uh, and I believed that it would change, you know. And codependents think that they can fix shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about. And, you know, we can't. I mean, we can do what we can do. But, um, you know, also there's an element, too, and I've had years and years of therapy, um, that by fixing someone else or by thinking we're fixing someone else, we're fixing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I do rescue work. So, I mean, I see that all the time with dogs, you know, the, the abused homeless animals. It's it's so, it's completely immediately rewarding mm-hmm. to, and, and the feeling it gives one. Um, so it, it's it's not necessarily selfish, but it's a, it's a, it's a noble effort that also helps the person doing it. You know, it, 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 it really does. And, um, so there was an element of that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to love Richard so much and save him from these demons and, and, you know, by way of saving myself too. So what happened when you guys broke up? Um, when the first marriage broke up? Oh God. Um, it we ended on the on the honeymoon boat and um he went back he had to go see uncle dicky who was sick and he left me on the boat and i'm like in st lucia and I said, this is not cool richard <laughs> <laughs> it's our honeymoon and uncle dicky i mean he can wait you know um and i finally got off the boat and um i flew back and then we had sort of dueling divorce lawyers and mm-hmm. And he went back to the boat because it was chartered for a certain amount of time with another girl. Mm. Yeah. So uh, on my honeymoon um, <laughs> boat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. And I moved shortly after that. I just moved back to New York. And I figured I got to figure this out. And you wrote a book, right? I did. Tarnished Angel. I'm writing Angel. a second one now. Yeah. Tarnished Angel. Did you read it? No, I don't. I couldn't get a copy in time. Yeah. Although now I'm like, I have got to go find that book. Yeah. But my sense, and tell me if this is right, is that... It ended in a way that leaves people probably surprised that you ended up with Richard again, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but why not? Listening right. Listening to these stories, <laughs> you wouldn't think anything of it. Of course she went back. <laughs> um, yeah, well, first of all, I never stopped loving Richard, period. And, um, you know, he really was, I just adored him. I mean, I adored him and um, and still do. Um so I went back to New York and I, you know, as T.S. Eliot said, you leave this place, you go on a journey, you end up where you came from and know it for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I really had to kind of retrace my steps. And that's why I started writing because I had to look at my family, how I grew up, you know, how I can sort of figure it out, you know, tre- retracing, you know, following the, the, the cookie crumbs as it were. And, um, and it was it was kind of clear. Um, it got very clear to me after uh, um, years of writing it. Uh, it took a while. I was seeing Richard on and off too, and um, while I was living my life, um, having other relationships, and um, and he got sick, 
And in 1989, he was in New York shooting See No Evil, Hear No Evil, and I worked on it with him. And I looked at him, I said, you're not, why are you walking like an old man? And he said, I've been diagnosed with MS. Mm. And he was still doing drugs, though. And I kind of, I got out of Dodge. I, you know, I, I, he was staying at the Plaza Atenee, and I remember coming one day, and there were, um, there was another woman's dog's dog food (laughs) (laughs) in the, in the, uh, in the room, in the suite, and um, I said, I can't do this anymore, Richard. I really can't do it anymore. And I went home, I got drunk and passed out for two days and um, woke up and finished my book, <laughs> which was kind of terrific. I needed to finish it, and I kind of had an ending. Until <laughs> I didn't, until I started all over again. Not all over again, but in in... I came out in 92. I did a interview with him for Spin Magazine. And um, and then in 94, I visited him at the Helmsley Palace, and he was drinking water glasses full of vodka and taking pills, and there were all these people around. And one of his ex-wives was there and wanted me to go down to the jewelry shop in the hotel and get the white lady price for the diamond ring. And it was just <laughs> really... <laughs> Yeah, it was just smarmy and scary, and I'm like, I don't really, yeah. I didn't know there was a different white lady price. Apparently there was, actually. Mm-hmm. I got it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so I started coming. I, I didn't like what I was seeing, and he said, I need help. Would you consider coming back? So I started go, you know, coming back and forth to L.A. to visit him a few times. What did he, did he mean someone to help him like physically to take care of him or did he mean help getting clean? All aspects of his life were crumbling. Okay. Um, The hangers, the locusts had descended and were picking over what was left. I mean, people were, there was a, first day I got there, I saw there was a gourmet chef. Richard wasn't eating. He was in the bedroom on IV, not eating. So these women girlfriends and exes were walking out with three-tiered cakes and you know how much is that cook making and it was just chaos oh it was just and the business manager and the lawyers so i eventually came back and i fired everybody everybody and um but it was it was quite a it was quite a scene of having to um pick up the debris really you know just kind of make sense of it all it took a couple of years to just kind of clean up the mess and um oh god I, I closed the bank of prior basically so you know people were not you know what I saw was that this we had to take care of Richard and um we lowered child support I mean I had my life threatened I had to get restraining orders on some of the wives on a couple of the women um I it was it was it, it was a big job Mm-hmm. I had to sue people who were selling Richard's intellectual property. And um, I basically had to learn quick, fast, and in a hurry how to do what I had taken, the task I'd taken on. And, um, I mean, it involved business. It involved, you know, I had to hire new business managers, new lawyers, sue certain people, uh, lower child support because there were these, this money was just hemorrhaging. And the money had to be there to take care of him because he was very ill. And I'm very proud to say I ran into John Singleton last night, and, and we were talking about Richard. And 
I said, I'm, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of in my life is having taken such good care of him that he lived with love and dignity and great care the last 11 years of his life. And I'm very proud of that, as well as I'm proud of protecting and enhancing his legacy and making sure that he lives on. Hence the biopic. Mm-hmm. Yes, which I've been wanting to ask you all about that. Where where does it stand now, and who's doing what? Well, and it's very all that. it's very positive. You know, when when I came back and I came back July of ninety four. <clears throat> pardon me. In ninety five, there were people who were approaching Richard and myself to do this, and this is really an example of of something worthwhile taking forever. <laughs> It's, what, 20 years later yeah. we're sitting here, and I can tell you, <clears throat> I'm happy to say that it, it you know, the, the events have conspired to deliver us to a perfect storm where all of the right elements, and Lee Daniels is directing, Mike Epps will play Richard, Kate Hudson's going to play me, hmm. um, she can do it, uh, and Oprah so far is the grandmother. And uh, Bill Condon had written the script, and Lee is doing a great polish on it. And I supplied Lee with some of Richard's diaries, uh, which are pretty awesome, To because um, Richard wrote a lot about his childhood. After the fire, Richard started writing these diaries. I'm going to publish them one day, but uh, not now. But uh, we've got to get the film out. And so we're going to start shooting in July. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where Where is yeah. it going to be shot? New York. Two weeks out here and the rest of New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's really exciting. And, um, you know, Lee is the one to do it. I mean, he has to, he's the one to do it. I mean, if you look at his body of work, look at Precious. And I mean, the, the, you know, the baggage that Richard had and carried through his life. Someone like Lee is the one to understand that and to really be able to wrestle that to the ground and, and get a handle on it creatively and, you know, Turn it into something that we can is accessible to, and um, and that's a hard that's a hard bill to fill, but uh, I'm, I have great faith that, that and Lee thanked me in front of everybody last night. It was so sweet. Yeah. So what was the event last night? <laughs> it was to honor Lee, uh, Uptown Magazine mm-hmm. um, at Fig and Olive Restaurant here in, in uh, Hollywood, and um, it was. Oh, what's the fellow's name who played Martin Luther King? He spoke. He was in also in Butler. I'm He's blanking. Got that odd name. He's got that odd name. Anyway, he he spoke beautifully, and and everybody got up and you know gave props to to Lee, and then Lee thanked some people and industry people and whatever, and then he said, "Oh, and there's someone else I need to thank here, Jennifer. Stand up." And I'm like, "Oh," <laughs> he said, "I thank you for trusting me." He said. Thank you. He said, my own addiction, um, you know, that you know about and that I've struggled with. I said, and you're trusting me with Richard's story and he's had his addiction. And and um, there's a lot of identification there um, as well as, you know, again, all the baggage that Richard had, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm really excited. I mean, I'm just, you know, it's going to come to fruition. Do you know yeah. what it's going to be called yet? No. Yeah. No, we're just calling it the biopic uh-huh. right now. We'll, we'll get to titles. Yeah. So ideally, when will this be released? Um, well, I know Harvey would like it to be released for Oscars. You know, that's because that's, you know, Harvey's good at that shit. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so if we're looking at shooting in July, you know, I mean, 
God willing, they can get, they can pull it out by then. Yeah. Mm. So I know mm. that there, there was all this, you know, controversy about the biopic and you had tweeted something. I'm going to get your tweet wrong. Paraphrasing. Uh, whenever you, you know, want to do a, or start to do a project, all his kids come out to uh, attack you. Yeah. Well, um, right after Richard died, three months after Richard died, one of his daughters sued me. And uh, she lost. She kept losing. It took four years of litigation, and they ate up a lot of their trust in the meantime. Um, but uh, what, was she, why was she, what was she suing you for? Oh, she, basically, um, the trust that Richard left the kids, I guess, she didn't think was enough. Mm-hmm. She wanted more. And um, uh, she, yeah, she... Um, David Oyolo. Yes. That's the name. Yes. Oyolo. With his lovely British accent. Yes. He told a great story about Lee, and he imitated Lee, too. Because Lee has terrible ADD, and he imitated him beautifully, you know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he, was, he was very sweet and dear, telling the story, and very entertaining. But anyway, so we, I prevailed in all the lawsuits. It okay. was, you know, but in, so they, she was unhappy, or they were unhappy with the, the trust or the terms of it. They or basically something. wanted my job, you know. Right. Yeah. They, they, the intellectual property and I all see. the, yeah. And uh, in fact, Courtney Love was there last night. Courtney said, Have you had trouble with family estate litigation? I said, <laughs> Oh, hell yeah, girl. Hell yeah. Because <laughs> she's going through shit, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my daughter got too much percentage and she's 22 and she knows. Anyway, it, it, I said, do you need a litigator? Because mine is the bomb, you know. <laughs> and um, But now I'm lawyered up. I got plenty of lawyers. But uh, it, it's so interesting that, that it's just such a common story. Right. You know, a celebrity dies and there's intellectual property. And, you know, I mean, I was just citing all of them driving over here. I mean, everything from... Bob Marley's to Marvin Gaye's to Sammy Davis Jr. to um, um, uh, Jim Brown. I mean, Jim Brown, James Brown. Um, I mean, you can go on. The list goes on. So uh, we prevailed, obviously. And, um, you know, it is on my shoulders to carry this legacy and obviously develop it. And I, uh, it's a big job, but I'm, I'm up to the task. Um. But what are what are the kids' qualms about the biopic? Okay, so <clears throat> by the way, I enjoy a warm, cordial relationship with the two younger ones. Mm. Um, well, their qualms are they want to be part of it, but unfortunately, you have to talk to me, you know, <laughs> and they don't want to, <laughs> and they don't want to make you do with me. So it's like that's not going to happen. If if they did make peace with you would you be amenable to that well i would be amenable to some degree of of involvement visiting the set but mm-hmm. i mean that's all you know i mean you're not gonna interfere with the creative i mean lee is at the helm here right um but uh richard jr surprised me because i had helped richard jr um in various ways with his life uh, including money uh, when this litigation was going on and i thought i had a good relationship with him and then all of a sudden he's talking smack about me in the press. And I'm like, you know, I wish him well. I don't know where it came from. You know, he he and Nick Cannon all of a sudden got tight because Nick didn't get the part. Nick's really pissed off about it. But, you know, it. listen, I have learned to take the high road because there's less traffic up there. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, otherwise, what are you going to do? I mean, I really don't hold animosity towards these kids. I, I kind of get it, you know. Mm-hmm. They're all those mamas, you know, I mean, and they were all angry and they're going to, you know, imbue their kids with that same kind of anger and 
But the truth is, I didn't have kids with Richard. It's probably this one smart thing I did with Richard. Um, I don't mean that. I'm mm-hmm. denigrating myself. Um, <laughs> but I chose not to because, number one, I wasn't sure if I'd be a good mother. And number two, I knew he wasn't a good father. He provided. He always provided for his kids. But, you know, he's not sitting doing homework with his children. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not, you know, singing nursery rhymes. I mean, did he not want to be a father? I think that fatherhood was foisted upon him. Uh, I think that there were certain mothers who saw a paycheck, as crass and cold as that may sound, heartless. I think it's true. I think we know that people have babies for the wrong reason. And um, I just didn't want to do it, you know. Mm. And uh, we had dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And there was no child support with dogs. Mm. Which I'd like to remind him about. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you tell us more? About, I'm just curious about all like, will you know? Will someone be playing Gene Wilder in the movie, and will other icons be? You know, represented? I, I yes, certain people will be certainly represented. Um, but uh, I haven't read the script. I'm not going to read it until Lee wants me to read it. And he's very excited about it. He was recently in the Bahamas writing it. Harvey sent him down there and said, you're too distracted by Empire because he's, oh, my God. You know, he's the flavor of the month right now, mm-hmm. isn't he? Empire is blowing up. And um, and it, it's a phenomenon in itself. And he um, needed to go away and write. He's very excited. He said he's had a turning point, He not only with the diaries, but a book by um, Scott Saul, Named beco- uh, called Becoming Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. Fabulous book, by the way, folks. Fabulous. I would say it's the only book I would recommend besides my own. <laughs> um, it's truthful. It's well-researched. Um, I mean, painstakingly researched. Um, you know, and if you want to know Richard Pryor, read that book. See Omit the Logic, because Omit the Logic is going to you know, give you a lot of wonderful background about Richard. You know, the, the amazing thing about Richard is there's so much material. Mm-hmm. This is His life was big, big. You know, life is short, but it's wide. Richard fit everything into it. I mean, he absolutely, living with Richard one week was like 20 years of somebody <laughs> living in Montana or, you know, Iowa somewhere. I mean, it was it was a thrill a minute. It was fast pace i mean you know keeping up with him was like amazing and i loved it i have to tell you (laughs) i loved the ride i never felt so alive even in the dark moments even in the darkness um it was you know it was a creative period um in that the love was creative and when it stopped being creative meaning when the drugs took over and it stops being creative it's time to move on but at least take the hiatus that we did um but it was a really um as volatile as it was and i mean you're really alive you're quite alive all your senses are alive Uh, you know the love your hearts everything's like that you know does one of the um marriages burn more brightly to you like it was one you know what did you did you fix the things that you had done wrong the first time the second time or what was completely different Mm -hmm. right it was um agape i mean the love you know you're the party's over i mean when i came back it you know 
the party's over. I mean, Richard wanted to go back to the comedy store, so we did. Um, and it was, I remember Damon Wayans saying to me, I don't want to go see him perform at the comedy store because it's so sad. And I said, fuck you, Damon. <laughs> it's heroic and tragic. But if you miss the heroicism of that, you're missing Richard. He's the one who wanted to go back on stage. You know, he'd teeter up there with his cane, and he'd have a martini in one hand, just about to spill it, <laughs> and his cigarette in the other, you know. And he'd, he'd, he'd tell stories and tell tell his, you know, do his little routines. And, um, and it made him alive. And if he wanted to do that, you know... Who are you, Damon, to talk about how sad it is, you know? He's still here, and he still wants to be a part of it, and he loved going to the comedy store. And we did that for a couple of years, actually, um, 95, 96, 97, and uh, I filmed it. And so I've got I've got great footage of him. It's, you know, Richard's last stand-up sitting down. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think some of it, we used a piece of it or two mm-hmm. in uh, Mythologic, and... Um, you know, again, it's not his best work, of course not, but it, it's a you know documentation of what I perceive as him being Richard, and um, I love him for that. I love his bravery. One of the things that um, surprised me about a mythologic, or rather, that I was just uh, I really took note of, was <clears throat> how different the N word is now than then. I mean, yeah. I think feelings around the word, the you know. The similar yeah. uh, and the discomfort with it and you know what it means but just that now it's you know you just say the n-word you don't actually say the whole word versus it was used on the cover of magazines it was in his album title but i mean you know in in omythologic the dis white people's discomfort or not knowing whether they can say it or not is yeah. represented quite a bit yeah. but it's just i feel like now we've kind of taken that word and just pushed it into the shadows um, Don't you think do you, it belongs there, though? Oh, yes, yeah. yes. But I'm just wondering, do you feel like, is that is it is it progress? Or do, like, do race relations, this is such a, this is turning into such a lofty, grandiose <laughs> question. I'm not, and I'm not trying to do that with the question. Um, I know where you're going. I, I, I mean, I guess that, well, yes, yes, that word and the hatred and the bigotry and all of that, you know, should belongs in the shadows, but I, but not like belongs in the shadows and therefore we feel good about it, but it's given a chance to flourish in the dark. That's not, and that, I guess that's my concern is that were did we have a healthier scent? Like, was it healthier then? Or do you think it's healthier now? Oh, I think it's healthier now. I do. Even though we see what the Republicans are doing, you know, mm. to voters rights uh, right. and, and, you know, some horrible things that are happening. Supreme Court, you know, kicking uh, the, the voting rights legislation from 64 to the curb, part of it. Uh, I, I think that that uh, that there is a reawakening right now going on. There is a second movement happening, and it's very real and alive. And having lived with um, in, through that period um, as a teen, as a young woman, teenager, a young teenager, young teenager, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, my mother took helmets. Uh, to Selma, uh, on, we put them on a plane, you know, and and my father was an attorney for Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uh, the Freedom Singers lived in our home, um, so I, I mean we were, um, you know, sort of died in the wool, you know, bleeding our liberals. And and I can tell you that yes, it's a better time. Even though, of course, as I said, to be to be to be repetitive here, that we're we're going backwards regarding the N word. Um, I have a quick story about the N word. Yes. Um, and we were in Hawaii. This is the, one of the 
it's the first time I was down there with Richard. And, um, and I'm, of course, seeing that this place is so beautiful and in, in tranquil and elegant in its tranquility and nature and how, how this man with such a jacket, as it were, a, a, you know, furious jacket, was, um, could be so appreciative of this kind of environment was, again, you're the man I love. This is beautiful that he's talked to the cows in the pasture and um, interviewed the cows in the pasture. <laughs> um, and so one night, however, Coke was still there. Mm-hmm. And uh, his assistant was there and Rashawn was there and we were all sitting around doing Coke. And I actually have photos from this little session. And... Um, <laughs> Richard said, um, I don't know if that story's in here, if we left it in there or not. I forget. Um, uh, and and the word is flying, and this, and and that, and and that, flying amongst everybody. Mm-hmm. And so I tried it out. I thought, oh, I'm going to be, ah, and then. <laughs> and the Coke spoon stopped at the nostril, and everybody <laughs> looked at me like, what the fuck did you say, white girl? <laughs> and uh, Richard took me by the hand took me outside and said, I have something to show you, Jennifer. And I thought, oh, damn, you know, what's going to (laughs) happen? He said, he pointed to the stars. And he said, Jennifer, I want you to tell me which one is a N-word, I just said, audience. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, I know you didn't mean it. He said, but don't ever use that word again. And you know, it's true. Coming out of a white person's mouth, you just can't do it. And if, if you know, if African-Americans, black people want to say it, that's their choice, you know? Some people say it takes the pain out of it, mm-hmm. you know? By, like to reappropriate it. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, last night Mike Epps was on stage and he said, you know, he was starting to read some little package speech. And he just threw it away and said, hey, and these, you know, <laughs> and words and kind of because the room was full of black mm-hmm. people. And it, it sort of broke the ice and everybody kind of appreciated he was trying to come from a real place. So, you know, it's it's very, very difficult, I think. But um, but Richard, Richard really, um, Richard really understood race, I think, in a conflicted yet profound way and I think that in his work he tore the covers off white people yes but he also tore the covers off black people Mm -hmm. and that is something that first of all Lee's doing in Empire right by talking about gays you know black gay men I mean that's not really talked about in the black community too much and that dialogue is happening so you know, I, I think that, um, you know, again, it makes me sad to see the backwards motion that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I also am happy to see that there is going to be a younger generation picking up the mantle and, and going forward with a, a new movement, a new civil rights movement, if you will. Speaking of gays, and I hope it's okay that I'm asking you this, what is your understanding of what happened at the Hollywood Bowl? Ah, complicated. Very complicated. Um, But God love him. (laughs) Okay, so he saw 
the story is that he's well there are a couple of different stories going around about this but from what my understanding is that he saw um the lockers the dance troupe being mistreated Mm -hmm. and everybody else all the white people were being taken care of and the black people weren't being taken care of and he he got angry about it also contextually um richard that same week quit his nbc variety show uh married deborah and and did this again one in one week you know again one week 15 years someone in iowa um <laughs> and and uh, he had this event and he basically told the gay community off i mean the sentence that to me is almost i mean almost a salient point is where were you mm-hmm. where were you when watts was burning and now you know whether that makes sense or not you know he was he was calling attention to the fact that hey guys you know wait a minute we've got some real inequality going on here and it needs to be looked at did he do it the right way who's to say i mean it was and I had a lot of gay friends, mm-hmm. and boy, my gay friends were like, "You're going out with him," and mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, I am going out with him, and uh, so maybe it was clumsy, maybe it was painful and awkward and um, hurtful. But um, and then he went on to say, "I suck dick." I mean, he he really let it out. And, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it it's it's a it's a complicated story. What did he mean by that? By sucking dick. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what do you think he meant by it? Well, a dick, he, and then he <laughs> right? It. But I mean, <laughs> oh, I want me to imitate it for you. <laughs> here's a water bottle. Come here, Allison. No, I mean, had, had he had homosexual experiences? That was, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Now, does a homosexual experience make a gay man? Does a gay man make? No. Uh, and again, let's talk about the 70s. We all, you know, I mean, you know, I had my share of threesomes and I don't like pussy, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's where I ended up about it, you know. So, but everybody was experimenting mm-hmm. and so did Richard. And do I think Richard had gay tendencies? No. Do I think he was gay? No. Do I think he... Um, he grew up in a place where sex was money. Sex was traded for monetary gain. Um, He did, when he was young, have some sexual experiences for money. And um, Did his family put him up to that? No, nobody put him up to it, but um, that would be really horrible. Um, Now, he just, you know... Right, it just was... The thing you do, I mean, you're, right? You're, you're living this life, you know. He saw his mother in bed with, you know, mm-hmm. and he he understood it, um, you know. But you can't judge it. I, I mean, I don't judge it. I mean, I suppose people can because they do all the time. But uh, do I judge it? No, I don't. I understand it, and um, but it, it's, you know. It's it's amazing to kind of wrap your brain around it. It's a lot to to wrap your brain around. Yeah, yeah. Has this shocked you, Allison? <laughs> <laughs> I know I look more innocent than I am. Well, you also you also look at me with puppy dog eyes sometimes, and I'm like, oh dear, did is she too? Is she shocked? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. I just 
I'd be just the whole... Need a shot of whiskey and a hug after this, right? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, just the whole pageant of every human emotion. It's just overwhelming. It's so... It's it's both sad and triumphant. You know, I'm trying not to have like a Damon Wayans, it's so sad things. It's not pity. It's just... It's heroic and tragic at the same time. This is really how I view it too. And um, it's kind of the whole sort of microcosm of life, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it... you know, I had so much of what, of the ugliness of life that people, and I, I hope that doesn't sound judgmental because I don't mean it to. I just mean like the dark, tough shit that people want to turn away from. Yeah. It's so there. It's in your face Absolutely. with this story. And by the way, on that note, I'd like to address the whole Bill Cosby thing. Yes. Richard was dirty on the outside, but he was a good person. He was clean on the inside. Bill? the fuck <laughs> clean oh clean he hated Richard because you know Richard told you know he worked worked dirty Bill worked clean so therefore you know Bill's just a fucking hypocrite and you know dirty on the inside did you know it was a well-kept secret that Bill fucked everything that moved this kind of shit that we're finding out about is you know beyond i mean i don't i wasn't aware of this kind of business there are people in the business who were aware of it and they're coming out now too i think they're now 34 women by the way who have stepped forward yeah it's some crazy it's high it's, it's some crazy they came to our house one night for dinner and bill and camille camille and bill and you know a couple weeks prior to this to this dinner uh, Richard and I had a threesome. I didn't want to do it. I said, Richard, you don't do it when you're in love with somebody. Trust me. You don't do it when you love someone. You only do it when you don't love anybody. It's recreational. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, well, you did it with Warren Beatty, and you did it with you know Roman Polanski, and you do it with me. And, uh, and in a funny way, he was kind of unsophisticated, right? <laughs> and, and I'd certainly been around the block, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, okay, Richard, we'll do it. So there was some German lady in town, uh, and he chose her, and she came out. And all of a sudden, in the middle of it, what happens when you're in love and you do a threesome? You get jealous. You get mm-hmm. crazy. He got crazy. And he started smashing the house. And one of the things he smashed was this beautiful $10,000 Tiffany lamp that was <laughs> hanging above the table that I'd purchased from him, for him when I was working for him, decorating his house. And so fast forward to Bill and, and Camille coming a couple weeks later, and there we had not repaired the lamp yet. So it was this big gaping hole in the, in the <laughs> Tiffany lamp, right? And um, I had the housekeeper serve um, sand dabs that night, you know, so it was – I was a nervous wreck. Mm-hmm. So Richard and I are sitting there, it's like the most fucked up couple. <laughs> There's a fucked up white girl and the goddamn crazy black man here. And here's the perfect couple sitting right there for, for us to feel so ashamed. The perfect Camille, the perfect Bill, who are, by the way, not mentioning the big elephant in the room. Right. The smashed <laughs> Tiffany lamp. You know, it was just absurd. And I, I never, I've never felt so judged and shamed in all my life. And I think about that. Do you, were that, that. do you think that they were actively judging you? Oh, God, yes. Yes. Oh, honey. Right, that was his thing, right? Mm, I mean, that thing. and... Uh, and her thing, too. Really? Oh. Do yeah. you think she knew about I what was I think going on? she had to. First of all, there was a lawsuit, what, 10 oh, years right. ago? Yeah. There was a lawsuit and a settlement. And... Um, he also, there's a story that a journalist told me about um, him 
stopping a National Enquirer story by throwing one of his yes, kids, kids under the bus. I read about that. Yeah. So, of course she knew. Yeah. Of course she knew. Why is she going for the okie doke, as Richard would say? <laughs> That's anybody's guess. I'm not going to say, but I can guess why. Ka-ching. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's done. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. done. I mean, Hannibal Burgess, who, who when he kind of outed him and really mm-hmm. started talking about it, he pissed off the black community, and he pissed off black men by how he was talking down to them. And he bonics and pull your pants up. And there's a famous speech called the Twinkie speech where he basically said, well, you don't want your son's shot. What are they doing, you know, eating, to buy, stealing Twinkies? Oh, Bill, does that mean, therefore, these kids should be shot? I mean, right. yeah. What kind of... It's awful. So, but this condescension that was going on and the holier than thou. And I think it got so over the top. It was almost bound to happen. Right. I mean, he's protesting too much. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So Hannibal, I mean, I'm hats off to him. I know he's had some issues since then, but people pissed off at him. But, you know, it's never cool to bring a black icon down, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the big discussions surrounding this. Right. He's an icon. We don't have a lot of them. Leave him alone. You know, that's kind of how it works. Hey, Martin Luther King had, you know, skeletons in his closet. Right. You know, it's Okay. But this, I mean, just the level of victimization is just victimization, the perversion. So, yeah, you know. But I love, I love it when Beverly Johnson came out with her story because she's black. They had been all white up until then, and um, when she came out with it, and she was drinking cappuccino, <laughs> so she knew right away she was stoned, mm-hmm. and and she just told that motherfucker off, and he didn't even put her in a cab. I mean, she could have been killed, you know, just trying to get home. But you know, yeah, he's a he's a he's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. Like you, I had um, heard tons of stories about him being a womanizer, yeah. but not. But I had no idea to that, the level, the, the depth of yes. this perversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, some <coughs> listeners tweeted me some questions for you. Oh, so goody gumdrops! Here, real quick. Is that see. girl on her way to therapy after she leaves you, Allison? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, did he have jokes based on you or about you that you really loved, or ones that you really hated? Uh, I loved every time he talked about me, even even when it got my Irish up. Um, but he called me white honky bitch. Um, he told a story. Um, it's at the end of... I worked with him on Live in Concert. That's his first concert movie. Um, and um, he tells a story about... Um, <laughs> it's a sexual story. Uh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. I said good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, you know, and I was trying to make a comment and the bitch got on top and she came and it's... I, I'm not going to do justice to the routine. Google it, YouTube it, you can find it. Um, but uh, the, 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 actually, I think it follows the, yeah, it follows Macho Man. He got, one time after we made love, um, he's like, got out of bed and said, did I kill the pussy girl? Did I kill the-? I said, yeah, you killed the pussy. You're Macho Man. You murdered the pussy. You're the pussy murderer. <laughs> and, and he said, I'm Macho Man. I'm Macho Man. And he started walking around the, the bedroom. I'm Macho Man. And that turned into a whole routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Nathan Buckley says, who do you think he would find absolutely hilarious in this generation of stand-up comedy, like in the last 10 years? Oh, gosh. Um, I think he would like Hannibal, by the way. And uh, I think he would like Kevin Hart. I think he'd appreciate Kevin's school. And um, 
you know, people who are really doing their own thing and being very original. Uh, Mike's turning into a pretty good comic now, Mike Epps. Um, was he selected by – did he approach you or did you approach him about doing the movie? Well, it's a lo- kind of an interesting story. Um, I approached him a few years back about it. And then we had a falling out. And um, and it had to do with him kind of getting involved too much with the kids. And uh, so when Lee told me he was considering Mike, I said, oh, you know, I will defer to you. There were three people in the running, really, Marlon, Wayans, and um, Nick – and Mike, and he said, Jen, Mike's the real deal. I said, I know, I, I agree. I said, but I can't give my blessing, but I, I'm not going to stand in your way. I did have, I have approvals, but I said, I'm not, I'm not going to fuck with you. I'm not going to cock block you. You take it. You're, it's your, you're going to be the director. He said, no, I need your blessing. And I said, well, I can't give you my blessing because he hasn't been cool with me and he's got to come clean with me. And he said, but he says he didn't do anything. I said, well, he's lying. I said, hmm. I need him to come clean. What had he done? He was in bed with Rain and, and Elizabeth, mm. and there was some just some shit. He'd given some money to Rain, and, and uh, you know, it was, did he, he thought he was going to make a project with Rain based on her book, which was crazy anyway, because you can't make a movie about Richard Pryor without. Mm-hmm. So um, it was just an absurd thing. But he, I asked him to speak at Richard's funeral, and he got up there, and I could tell he was like, he was just kind of disconnected from me and he was the kids were already kind of compiling a case against me and um you know had a lot of animosity and I could tell he was sort of playing to them and I'm like anyway I I spotted it and then Rain did a radio show where she actually said it well now he wants a part in a movie and he was on our side and now he's on her Mm. yeah so I said look again Lee just do your thing and but Mike called me one day and he said Jen I want to come clean and I said, hey, I'll meet you down at, you know, this little bistro near me. And he said, I, I got to tell you the truth. Uh, you're right. And uh, I said, I know it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he said, that's all you wanted was the truth? I said, that's all I wanted. And I said, we're cool. We're going to move forward in a really great, productive, creative way. And um, we're good. We're good. It's the past. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay, Jay Thurston says, how would Richard have handled the internet, YouTube, and social media? I don't think he would have had anything to do with it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would have maybe had his assistant do something with it, but Mm -hmm. he wouldn't be tweeting. He wouldn't be doing any of that shit. He wouldn't be, you know. I think it's hurt some celebrities, by the way. I think it kind of drags them down to a level that you don't want to see them on, right? Mm -hmm. And also... This is something that I talk about frequently. If if you do get too uh, wrapped up in Twitter and in reading instant responses, yeah. then that can mess with your head too. I agree. It's like reading reviews, except right. you're reading the kind of instant, you know, yeah. micro reviews. Ugh. How did Richard feel about his reviews? Um, you know, I, I really don't think he paid too much attention. He knew that the cookie cutter formulaic movies were for money. Mm-hmm. And he knew where his heart was, and his heart was in stand-up. It wasn't in the toy? Oh, no. Or Brewster's Millions? No. Superman 3? No. <laughs> exactly. That, those were all paychecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was disappointed in Richard when he did some of that stuff. But, you know, hey, you know, who am I? It, it paid bills. It, you know, he, he, you know he, got, he, got, he did a lot, of, a lot of that stuff for money. And, 
he was high. Yeah, his, his, he was high as a motherfucker when he did stir crazy. <laughs> He's completely yeah. blitzed on. Yeah, on free base that whole time. That's I. I think I read that you can't even watch that, right? I that, can't. That, that, no, no, yeah. no, I cannot. Yeah. I cannot. I went up to um, Tucson to visit him. We were apart at that time. I apart meaning I had moved out, and he was um, shooting. And um, there was some terrible but fascinating shit going on. Um, well, I'm in his trailer one day, and the door opens, and these. Hell's Angels come in the door, and uh, I mean serious, like Hell's serious Hell's Angels. And I, excuse me, and I got out, and um, he bought drugs for them. Well, the feds knew about it. It was right there in the open, I guess. And that night, I met I met Richard. Everybody else was staying at um, uh, at the one of the um, Four Seasons in Tucson, and Richard had to have a house up in Coyote Country, you know, where the coyotes and the gravel are. And um, it was scary. And that night, I, I woke up and I said, Richard, I smell something. I smell cigarette smoke. Somebody, and I saw crunch, 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 gravel was crunching outside and cigarette smoke. I said, Richard, somebody's outside. Somebody said, he said, it's okay. And he grabs a, 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 a pump shotgun. And I'm like, oh, now I feel safer, Richard. Now I feel really safe. <laughs> <laughs> and I literally held on to him, spooning him all night. So, you know, because the gun is here, Richard's here, and I'm here holding. So that the gun, you know, of course, you know, no sleep that night. The next day, right. the driver said, the feds are waiting for you on the set, Richard. And we got there, and Richard said, Jen, come with me. I said, what are you doing? He took me by the hand. Sashayed up like do to do to do to do. Hi, officers, how can I help you? Um, Richard, we know you scored dope from the Hells Angels. We're just going to tell you this once. If you try to leave town with that shit, you're going to get busted. They let him have it. I mean, they, that's all they said. Right. So we actually wrapped, I think, the next day. And we were going on the way to the airport, and Richard said, told the driver to go back to the house because I knew he had stash, right? And I said, Richard, I'm not going to the house with you. This is you're on your own. I got into a different car, went to the airport, got on the plane, and there's Gene Wilder. I'm sitting next to Gene, uh, and Gene says, "We have to talk about Richard. He's in trouble." And I'm like, I really don't want to talk about Richard. I know he's in trouble. Well, he had gone and gotten high, and he came on the plane just at the last minute. And, of course, he almost killed Gene for sitting next to me, talking <laughs> smack, right? But, um, you know, those kind of events, this, you know, scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he didn't get arrested, and he didn't try to leave with it. He just left high. So he left with it in his system. He did. <laughs> in it. In it, not on it. Um, Bill I Am says, did Richard know how much he was idolized by up-and-coming young comedians? Yes. But did he feel it and appreciate it? Could he appreciate the love? And that's kind of part B, I think, of that question right. that I'll ask. Um, I think that was hard for Richard to understand. He did know that people looked up to him and that he people chased him, you know, including Robin. I mean, Robin was not a good, great stand-up. He, mm-hmm. Robin had a great film career, but, you know, everybody was chasing Pryor. Eddie was chasing Pryor. Robin was chasing, I mean, everybody was chasing Pryor. Uh, and, and he knew it. But, you know, Richard had an incredible humility at the same time. He loved, you know, you asked me about what comics would he love today. Richard loved to go to the comedy store and he'd sit there and watch a shitty comic Hmm. and love it and appreciate it because he loved the art of Mm stand-up. 
He just loved that somebody could get up there and try, you know? And, and he, he, was, he was very dear that way. And he encouraged a lot of comics, by the way. What do you miss most about him? Everything. Um, you know, obviously not, not the bad stuff, but there are a few people with whom, I think the poet Dunn said it, you look at a tree and you see the same shadow falling from that tree. And I could look at that tree and Richard and I would see the same shadow. And I had a connection with him that I've never had with anybody else. And um, I just felt as if I were home with him. I'm very sad he's not on this planet. Mm -hmm. Even when he was sick, you know, he'd sit in his wheelchair and I could I could feel him. And he got to a point where speaking was very difficult, but he didn't need to. I could feel him, and I knew what he was feeling and thinking. And uh, I just missed that connection. Richard saw me. And when someone sees you, that's an incredible thing. I had gone out with all kinds of guys and celebrities, and, you know, I was a nice piece of ass everybody wanted. No, seriously. And, and, but who saw me? You mm-hmm. know, who actually saw me? And, and Richard did. You know, Richard said, I see Jenny Lee. He used to say it. I see Jenny Lee. And um, being seen is in known and felt and appreciated. Um, it's what love is. It's what love is. Yeah, that is what love is. That's what deep love is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are going to make me cry. <laughs> yeah. Aww. It's okay. It's all right. It's good to cry. Do you want to to love again? Um I would I think I would like a companion, but I, you know, it's a hard act to follow. Yeah. You know, and not to say that it has to be, you know, something necessarily has to compete with that because there really isn't. It just something would be different. But my life's very full, I have to say, uh, with friendships and, and dogs and my dog rescue and work. Um, would I like to know somebody and have a companion? They'd have to put up with a lot, I think, you know. Um, they'd have to put up with 10 dogs, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not going to find your average person. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm not actively seeking it, you know. It's just whatever, que sera, sera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a segment that we do on the show called Just Me or Everyone, where people write in with things that they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? I would love to do it with you here. I know okay. that we've gone over time-wise a little bit. How are you? I'm okay. You are? Okay, mm-hmm. good. All right, there's a song. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? All right. Mal is your pal says, when I'm out walking my dog and see a note on someone's door, I always go read it. Same applies to notes on people's cars. Um... I read notes on people's cars, as long as it's not like folded over or something. If it's a note on someone's door, I will be curious about it, but I won't actually, with my dog, go up to someone's door because I feel like then I Agreed. almost like a stalker or something. Agreed. You're on someone's property. Yes. Yeah. But if the, if the car is on the street, yeah, 
Yeah. So you have that curiosity too. I do. Okay. Deborah Lindsay says, I open up all of my tasks for the day in separate tabs in the browser until they are completed. Is it just me or everyone? That's a smart thing to do. I don't do that. I don't do that. That's very organized. It really is. so anal retentive. (laughs) I know. How organized must her house be? Oh my God. It's flawless. (laughs) It's smart. No, I, um, I'll have like a billion different tabs on my computer open and it'll be stressing me out and I won't be able to find the thing I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's more how I do it. Exactly. Um, and then accidentally I'll close like, you know, the whole browser and I'm like, oh no, (laughs) there was something open. Well, I'm uh, old school. I I keep a list. That's I, like yeah, a to-do list. Yeah, I have a to-do. I, I have actually a couple of them on my desk, you know, one one for cer- certain things and another for certain things. Mm-hmm. And, and it's good because it stares at me, right at me. I don't have to click. I just look at it. I sit down I and then I check off and uh, yeah, it's I'm old school. Are you a pretty organized person? Yeah. Have you always been that way? I See, I, I'm always curious when I meet people who are organized because I, I could stand to be more organized and less of a clutter hog and all that. I basically have been. I'm a Virgo. So I'm, people tell me I'm kind of a typical Virgo. But I remember reading an article in my early 20s and it was about making lists and being organized. And I, it really, it's stuck in my head. And I'm like, that's the way to be productive. That's the way to get things done. And uh, But I try. You know, I always aspire to, you know, more organization myself mm-hmm. and uh, I put sometimes I procrastinate in not a good way but uh, yeah do you still live in the house that you and Richard lived in oh no that house was Northridge well we lived in a couple different houses but the the house where a lot of this went down was in Northridge that was um, that got demolished in the earthquake and the owners rebuilt it I, I revisited that house a few years ago because we thought we were going to shoot in it and um, it was amazing to go back that uh, I when I got back home that day, I I can remember putting my feet in my driveway, going, "Oh shit!" I was depressed for two weeks. I had such a traumatic feeling by going back, literally going back on that property, and you know, going through. We bought Richard another house in 1994. When I came back, he was in a rental and all this money that was hemorrhaging again, as I told you. And so we bought him a house, uh, a nice modest house in Encino, fixed it up for for his um, special needs, obviously wheelchair, etc. When he passed, I renovated it and I live in that house. And I sleep in the room where he passed. And uh, I feel great comfort there. Sometimes he wakes me up. Hmm. That's real. How, what happens? My bed shakes. And my bed is huge and it's heavy and it's actually a bed that was custom made for him in Hawaii. And um, it, it shakes like Jennifer. And I'm like, okay. And the first time it happened, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, it's okay. And I, I felt his brush. And one night I had a dream so real. I was dancing with him and I felt him close to me. And, you know, I mean, who knows? I, I But I do believe that there are visitations and dreams and that he's visited me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes not enough. I ask him to visit me, but yeah. And I liked, I thought about moving and I thought, I can't, I can't. This is, you know, so much of Richard here. I feel him. Right. That uh, it would be hard for me. It's kind of a spooky thing to say, but. I, it's, I don't think it is though. No? I think this is, I think that people who haven't been close to death might think that's spooky. Like, yeah. they, like the idea of someone being, wanting to spend time in the room where someone died. I think for people who haven't been near death, it's like, oh, why would you want to be near that? But 
when you have been near death, then you understand because you loved this person yeah. and you still feel a connection to them yeah. there. And it makes perfect sense. I'm glad you see that. Have That's, you been near death? Yeah, I have. Yeah. There's, there's been, um, yeah. actually I, um, there was someone when I was younger who, uh, was diagnosed with MS oh, wow. and he took his own life. Um, which oh, dear. was, yeah. Um, so that was, that was one of the deaths, but I kept thinking of him when I was, you know, watching Omit the yeah. Logic and yeah. just, I don't know. I, I don't think I'll ever really understand his decision process, but it was, um, you know, there's relapse, remit, MS, yes. or there's progressive That's and right. it was progressive. And he had, you know, I, there was that scene, um, or a couple of scenes of Richard holding the lighter to sort of mask the fact that his hand yes. was, was curled up. And, um, my friend had, you know, he was having a lot of problems with his hands. He yeah. couldn't type anymore. And he, and he was a professor. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's a, well, it's, it's an a, awful one. The woman who moved to Oregon, you know. I'm, oh yeah, yeah, and and ended her life. Yeah, you know, my therapist makes reference to that as as in a way that she respects it. She said, you know, everyone is their own counsel at the end. Everyone holds their own counsel, and so you're quite right. And even though you have to process it and kind of wrestle with it, maybe mm-hmm. wrap your brain around it, their choice to do this. Um, you know, she saw, she knew what she was facing. Right. And she, she made brain dis- cancer. Yeah. I, I don't know if I could either, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's an awesome decision to, to make. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Richard obviously knew what, what was coming and he endured. And, um, I think one of the reasons he endured, by the way, was because, um, he felt he did fuck up in some ways, you know. He kept apologizing to me, by the way, the first few years I was... And finally I said, no more apologies, no more. First of all, we, there was two people here, you know. And we can't make lemonade out of lemons when we're <laughs> apologizing, yeah. you know. We've kind of processed that and dealt with it. Now we... Anyway, I digress. We're, we're, we're off your... We're, <laughs> no, off no. your <laughs> we're off your happy endings here. <laughs> no, no, that's... Uh... That's really interesting. Uh, J. Mo's and Bobo says, when at an ATM or alone in a parking lot and I see some unsavory characters hanging around, I fake a hacking cough to repel. That's smart. I don't do that. I just don't go near the ATM. Yeah. There, are, there was, there was <laughs> one time that I needed to go to an ATM um, and it was... It was. It wasn't dark yet. It was kind of dusk. But I looked, and I'm like, "There's this guy just lurking there." And yeah. so I like left, and came, you know, I kept kind of like took my time because I had other errands to run. This guy, I don't want to go there because there's just this dude lurking there. Yeah. And then I realized he, he had a security jacket on. <laughs> like, no wonder he was lurking. But oh, but I should have ended the story there. But I will say, if you're security, try not to look so sketchy. Yeah, like exactly. His, his body well, language is just are sketchy. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. But but you know on that note too, I really believe that we're animals, and you see dogs react to some people and not others, mm-hmm. and they know something that we don't. Sometimes we have these same instincts inside of us, and so many, so much of the time, we repel those instincts or we resist them and don't listen to that voice that says there's danger, and we have to listen to that voice always. I feel like that was like the first two years of my being in therapy was my therapist trying to get me to unlearn. The, the head the or to rather to reconnect with what my gut was saying because i you know i used that's I, a good therapist i came in and i was like you know i don't want to i never wanted to make a judgment and yet i was always 
you know, it's like I would receive or I, I was always falling for the wrong guy is essentially what I'm trying to say. Oh. But I would have this real open mind about it, you know, and it was like uh, she's trying to get me back in touch with listen to what what right what you know about a situation. Yes. Because I'm always the last to know what I know about a situation. <laughs> I feel like. That's very funny. Because I'm getting better as I'm getting older. But anyway, okay. 4657 Jess says, uh, I grind and or tap my teeth to whatever song gets stuck in my head. I do it without realizing it. Can't make it stop. No, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that. I wear a thing at night to prevent you grinding. You do? My oh, husband yeah. wears one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 4657 Jess also says, uh, and it's another one about a song getting stuck in your head. When I get out of the car, the song that's in my head the rest of the day and memory picks up at the exact verse upon re-entry. God, that's fascinating. Yeah, the rest of the day. That's no, I don't. I don't know if I have that. I'm not so aware. It, no, it's usually like one verse or one a few lines of a song will get stuck in my head, and then I'll just feel like I'm going nuts. Like yeah, ah, the, ear, the earworm. They exactly. Call it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Tummy towel says, while sitting on a toilet in a hotel, I imagine that there are people directly above me and below me doing the same thing. No, I don't, but I love that. Okay. We're all connected. These are freaks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> These are my listeners. <laughs> and I love them. Yes. We all yes. enjoy the mundane aspects of life. That's right. That's some, right. some of them are freaks. <laughs> Golden Frank says, when hosting parties, I put out a bowl of dog treats in case someone feels the need to feed my pooch something. That's very nice. That's that's nice. I yeah. And then he says treats are better than cheese, meaning it's better for someone to feed your dog a uh, you know pre-sanctioned treat than just a, a scrap. Yeah, they always have to ask my permission though. Yeah, don't don't, don't you agree? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't have I don't have you know it's kind of new because I used to do this podcast in a studio, and so it's right. new that I've now moved the studio here. So now there's all these people coming in and out. But before, there weren't a ton of, as you can probably tell from Wendy being somewhat afraid of people. Um, although she was like that real early on, even. But anyway, um, my point being, it's kind of new that there's, there's a lot of people coming in and mm-hmm. out. So, But yes, I, uh, I think people should ask first. Yeah. All right. And lastly... And this is a Twitter handle that I can't pronounce because it's 1F4D46AOEA86496. Hmm. I feel like that couldn't be more random. Right. Just me or everyone, have my phone in my hand, try to check the time and forget my phone has a clock and check my iPad or watch. I've done that. I've done that. I felt like, oh, no, I don't have my watch, even though I'm holding my phone. Okay. Here's one that I've done. Okay. I'm on the phone. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I can't find it. Where's my phone? <laughs> I have done that, too. <laughs> I've Thank done God. that. Okay. I've done that. I can actually do you one worse or one better. I've been driving, and I thought, oh, shit, where are my keys? Where are my car keys? <laughs> so these, these things crack me up. Yes. Those, I mean, there's nothing sillier than that, is there? <laughs> Well, gosh, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. I'm glad much. we ended up with some laughter, by the Me way. Me too. Because I, I know that this was maybe difficult, some stuff that was maybe difficult to, yeah. to, to but digest. Real. But, but real. But very yeah. real and very honest, which I'm is all what for I... That. Yeah, And by too. the way, I'd like to end, too, by saying what Richard used to say, what doesn't kill you makes you fat. <laughs> I love that. 
<laughs> I love that. That's so sadly true. Um, all right. If you guys are going to buy something on Amazon, click through the banner on my website, alisonrosen.com. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It does help out the show. Um, and thank you all so much for all of your Amazon support as we are getting Dining Room Studios up and running. It m- means a whole lot. Um, also, there's PayPal links on my website, uh, on, the, on the right side of the website, alisonrosen.com. Um, perhaps something you'd like to buy on Amazon is Richard Pryor's yes. Omit the Logic. Absolutely. Buy Omit the Logic. You'll love it, guys. It's amazing. Um, yeah, and it just came out on DVD and Blu-ray, so I definitely recommend that. And it's also Fantastic. probably streaming on Amazon, too. Is it yet? I don't know is if it, it is or not. That's a question for on iTunes, you can on get iTunes, it. yeah. Okay, there so you, you go. can get it all the places that you normally get things. Um, we have a ringtone available. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. <laughs> get that by searching "Hey, go fuck yourself" on your iPhone in the <laughs> iTunes Store. We also have two special bonus episodes available, recorded live at the LA Podcast Festival. First one with Doug Benson and Greg Proops. The next one with Doug Benson, musician Matt Costa, and much of the Departed Thursday Gang. And those are a dollar ninety nine in the comedy album section of the iTunes Store. You can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at ARIYNBF. Uh, email us show at gmail.com. Now, where should everyone go for you? And now plug everything that you want to tell people okay. to make sure to, to check my out. my goodness. Okay, you can go. Well, I'm on Twitter, Jennifer L. Pryor. I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not on Instagram and because uh, I'm still Crackberry. Uh, <laughs> and we just, I really, really want to encourage people to buy Omit the Logic and I also want to encourage people to read Becoming Richard Pryor if you love Richard Pryor. These are also great tools to um, not only be entertained by, but just kind of get to know the man if you want to get to know the man. And stay tuned for the biopic. Thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Nice. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 